Introduce yourself, please. Hi, I'm, I'm Bill Adamowski. I'm with the uh, ISU Startup Factory. Awesome. Let's get started. Welcome to Innovation Aims, a series of conversations with scientists and startup owners about ideas and aims and how to go from prototype to product. I'm your host, Dan Micah. So Bill, thanks for uh, taking some time out of your day to talk with us. We really appreciate it. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your background uh, from being a wee little kid to where you are right now. <laughs> from a wee little kid, okay. Um, I mean, I guess I'm a... Uh, so, so both my parents, my father was actually born and raised in Germany, my mom in Japan, and uh, my father was in the Air Force. So I grew up as uh, basically as an Air Force brat. So I lived uh, all over the place, in fact, um, with high school in Okinawa, Japan. Uh, so I traveled or I lived in a lot of different places. So that's sort of the early origins. But then, you know, if you look at fast forward, you know, I've worked at GT Labs replacing NORAD. So I was a software engineer there. Um, I worked at Deloitte Consulting, working on it in the management consulting side with clients such as UPS, uh, General Motors, GE, some of those pieces. Became CIO at GMAC Financial Services, so I ran technology for GMAC. And then after that, I was uh, actually what brought me to Iowa some 20 plus years ago was I was the chief technology officer at Wells Fargo Home Mortgage out in, in Des Moines. Um, and then that then the dot-com days happened and I started my entrepreneurial career and started my first B2B internet play, grew that from zero to 40 million revenue, sold that, and then raised some money for us. And another venture basically from the largest VC in the US, as well as a large multi-billion dollar conglomerate out of India, grew that company from zero to $200 million in revenue. Uh, from there, uh, had that company sold to, Sold, but I guess that's a story for a different day. It didn't work out, and I still have equity in that company. So let's see what happened after that. I actually joined a company called Ellie May. I ran corporate development, another startup, and helped drive an IPO. So a successful IPO. It trades on the New York Stock Exchange now, $3 billion market cap. Um, and then most recently, I was out in Silicon Valley working on uh, big data and analytics and returned back to Iowa, uh, my home state of Iowa, last year. Mm-hmm. Who were you working for in uh, Silicon Valley? I was working for a company called CoreLogic, mm-hmm. and so they're probably the largest data and analytics provider in the uh, real estate information space. Mm-hmm. And uh, what did you do that? I ran basically the uh, the products and technology division, so some of the, the services that we provide out to the, the real estate industry from software applications. So we had a couple of products in the software space as well as some of the the data space, so we're a data provider, analytics provider, and a software provider. So other than uh, the presence of a winter season, what's the biggest difference between working in tech in Silicon Valley on the West Coast and in Iowa? I think, you know, one of the uniquenesses of probably Silicon Valley, and we're hoping to bring that more here, but it's probably true, it's probably just for Silicon Valley, is speed. You know, so the things happen at a rapid pace in Silicon Valley when it comes to technology, when it comes to financing, building companies, selling companies. So, you know, one of the things that people always talk about is, you know, it takes a while to build companies. And what you learn in the Bay Area is that that's probably not the right way to think about it. You need to be doing these things on a short basis. So, I, you know, I rarely look for any kind of company beyond a three-year horizon as far as I go. So that's probably one of the 
to me, one of the larger lessons, you know, being out in the Silicon Valley or the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Why that three-year horizon? Because because it has to do with intensity. So if you think you have 10 years to build a company, you pace yourself to whatever the 10-year journey is going to be. But if you think there's going to be an exit in three years and you start going back from there, you don't really have much time. So you need to be moving forward. You need to be you know, pushing hard. So a good example of that would be prototyping. You know, a lot of people think it takes a long time to prototype, but in the Bay Area, you know, it's pretty much, you know, you need to prototype in a day or at most a week, right, to get something out to market and start testing with your customers right away, as opposed to sitting there thinking about it and then doing a lot of market studies and all that. It's just, just the speed in terms of what it executes. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing that kind of speed transferring into Iowa now? Well, we're, well, I don't know if we're trying to bring that to Iowa. So part of what we're trying to do with the Startup Factory Initiative is uh, to come up with more methodologies or more ideas in terms of how we can do more rapid prototyping, better customer discovery, get in front of customers sooner rather than later, and see if we can bring products to market faster, investors to the companies faster, and then hopefully exits even faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of the Startup Factory, you run that. Uh, I believe you're in the middle of the first cohort, the first class. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, I think about $1.7 million in outside investment, something like that. Yep. Um, so tell me the beginnings of the Star Factory and what you think that the Star Factory is doing that other accelerators aren't doing right now. Okay, great, 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 great question. Um, so, so a lot of this, you know, stems from President Lee's vision of obviously pushing economic development and uh, that it should be a core mission of the university, right? So I think, you know, it, it's genesis or starts from there. So what the, where the startup factory is different is that, you know, I don't call it an accelerator. I don't call it an incubator just because I think we're bigger and better than both of those. So accelerators are typically 90 days, 100 days, three months kind of programs. Uh, incubators have a lot to do with space. The Startup Factory has space as well as it has a program, but our program is over 52 weeks. And the idea really is how do we take companies from where they are to truly something that it can take them to market. It can be you know from an investor financing to actually getting real customers, to understanding a sales process, to understanding their target market, product market fit. All those things are encompassed in our 52-week program. So I think that's probably one of the largest differentiators is the fact that we're much more hands-on driving these companies. And in the end, the goal is to drive successful companies, not just the education of people in the program. Mm-hmm. And is there a is there a sense that uh, most of the companies that are started, like, because most of these companies are already somewhat established or have an idea of a prototype that they want to bring to market, does the Star Factory work more towards developing that product or getting that product to market? Um, I think mm-hmm. because from what I've noticed, it seems like ISU is producing a ton of research as it is a, a research um, a research university. Um, so where are the challenges of getting intellectual property developed at the university and bringing it to the market? Yep. So, so if you look at research universities, I mean, the great thing like Iowa State being a you know, R1 research institution is that there's a lot of great research, like you said. Okay. So, and then there's a lot of cool innovations that occur and you go, wow, this thing potentially has great market potential, right? 
So now it's come out of the lab, it has market potential, but now what? What do we do with it? Who wants it, right? So part of the Startup Factory program is the first thing we do is try to figure out what is the target market that wants this the most? Who has the, you know, what, who has the largest pain that this is going to alleviate or who has the largest gain in terms of use, using this innovation? And the reason that's important is that the higher the pain, higher the gain, the more money they're willing to pay, the more money, willing they are to make a change and the more chance you have in terms of getting them a customer and being a successful business. So the first thing is it's great innovation, and typically these innovations that come out of the university, what they say is it could do this, it could do this, it could do this, it could do a lot of different things, right? It could help a whole bunch of different people. But when you're starting a business, the key is it's not how, you know, it's not trying to go after every segment. You gotta figure out which one's your first target market, and you're trying to pick the target market that once again has either the highest pain or the highest gain. So that gives you an example of how sort of the program helps them. And so the first part of it is all about customer discovery, right? Next part, then we start talking about, okay, that's great. Now, now that we know who our customer is, now we start looking at organizational design, right? So we look at what, how your product should look because now that you know who your customer is, because a lot of times, you know, people sort of put the cart before the horse in that case. You start designing things before they even know who their customer is. So in this case, once you've defined your customer, now create your website, create your logo, create your branding strategies, create your product, the packaging, whatever it is, you know, every product or, you know, solution is different, but, you know, make it specific for that customer segment, right? Then we go into sort of sales. So we have like a sales boot camp. And the whole idea of sales is not to make people professional salespeople, but it's really to try to get that first customer. Because you need a customer in order to validate that your proposition is interesting in that specific market that you're talking about. And then we sort of move into like investor pitch. So now we culminate all that kind of stuff into pulling together a, a true investable investor pitch. So you're really taking stuff that's coming out of the lab and then you're trying to build all the elements of what would make a successful company and then bring it to basically either an investor or drive really revenue. Mm -hmm. Are there any other major challenges that people might not associate with uh, starting a company in a research park? Any challenge? I mean, I mean, starting a company obviously has a, a number of challenges, right? So I think maybe I'll just flip that question around and say, what are the things that we provide that can help overcome some of the challenges, right? So the challenges are typically... You know, coming out of the university or what? It's, it's you know, there's a faculty member and there's maybe a postdoc or a researcher or a grad student or a student, right? So somebody that's interested. Typically, these people are not business people, so they don't have any business background, right? They have no office space. They, you know, don't know how to run a company, So that's but that's how they show up. So what are the things we provide? I mean, what we're looking at is giving them mentoring help. So, I mean, if they know how to do it, that's great, but most of them don't understand the business side. You know, if they need help in terms of their financial projections and what they're going to look like, we'll bring some financial experts to the table to help them out, right? If they need space, so we've got a, a building, the Startup Factory building, where we'll actually put them in uh, the space in terms of that. So give them both the mentoring help they need as well as the space in terms of that, right? The community at large, if you look at the research part, there's a large number of resources in the research park from uh, other startups and other companies, as well as established companies, as well as a lot of people, the community, really the whole research park community and the Ames community at large, as well as the Greater Des Moines, really, uh, are trying to help these companies as well, right? So they volunteer as mentors, advisors, part of our teaching team and all that. So to me, it's been it's been very exciting because it's, it's kind of fun to watch the community come in and support 
And so, you know, what is difficult for a lot of these startups, you're starting to see a lot of people step up and engaging and saying, this is important, this is important for us, this is important for the community, and volunteering their time. So that's been, that's been very exciting. So right now I'm looking outside of the uh, outside of the window. We're in the economic development core facility. Uh, it took me a while to like really nail that down. It was a tongue twister. Uh, this beautiful big uh, like a lot of glass. Uh, right now I'm seeing a small car lot and mostly empty fields. And uh, if you go out to the south side of the building, there's more empty fields. Uh, when I was talking with other people involved in the research park, they're saying that they want the, the size of this park to double or triple in size within the next 10, 15 years. Where do you see the start of factory in that development of the research park? Yep. So, so I'm, I'm probably biased. So I, I, I'd actually say I'm extremely biased in terms of the same circuit. You know, it, okay? <laughs> you know uh, acknowledging, acknowledging your biases is what we like here. Yeah. It's all about disclosure. Yeah. So to, to me, what's going to create the growth is startups. So if you look at startups in general, you know, you can Google, you know, where all net new jobs come from. But, you know, U.S. Census Bureau data, Kauffman Foundation, almost all net new jobs are created by startups. Right, so that's one thing that a lot of people, when they're looking at economic development, don't don't realize that it's really the startup activities. So, to me, what we're trying to create out of the startup factory are real companies that are providing real solutions to real problems. Right, and so to me, those become the cornerstone of what the growth of the research park is going to be based on. So, the the, the next generation of the Workivas and the New Links and the Harris Vaccines. I mean, those kind of companies, once again, you know, Harris Vaccines is, you know, getting bought by Merck, right? So we'll have Merck out here. But Merck didn't come to the research park. They bought a startup, right? So a lot of these companies, that's how that's how these things grow. They start with an innovation. They start with a, a startup. The company grows and then someone acquires them. And so you have great names in a research park. But if you look at the beginnings of all that, it's typically startups. So to me, I'd like to see the startup factory have a hand in, you know, the majority, if not the uh, the vast majority of things that are going to help really spawn the growth, right? Now, that being said, it's not just about the startup. So to me, uh, the entrepreneurial community is part of a larger innovation ecosystem. So if you look at the Bay Area, like Silicon Valley, I mean, there's a lot of startups, absolutely. But there are a lot of established companies there, right? And why do they have established companies there? I mean, it's it's definitely not because of it's affordable, right? It's not because of the, what it is is about innovation. And so when you have a lot of entrepreneurial activity, large companies like to engage because that's a way that they can get a lot of innovation themselves. So other innovators and they can pick them up early or they can be a client early or they can even buy those companies. If there are ones that they would like to get accomplished, but let's say it's not really part of their core company itself, they may invest in some small companies and said, okay, hey, I'll invest, you know, $50,000 or $100,000 in you guys and see if you guys can do this for a year and see where it comes up, right? And so that's what creates a larger innovation environment. And that's what excites me particularly about what we're trying to do with the research park is the bringing in the established kind of companies and having the established companies like BI here as well as this whole new entrepreneurial community that we're trying to build up in here and I think the combination is going to be I think it's going to be limitless in terms of its potential right do you see um, a potential uh, of a talent um, shortage in uh, central Iowa because the way I'm seeing it right now is if you are uh, a talented coder a talented developer, you could be making 
um, potentially more money on the West Coast, even though more of it would go towards rent and cost of living. But you would be on the East Coast. There would be more stuff to do like in the Bay Area or in Silicon Valley, uh, any of those really big, well-established startup areas. And I know that uh, Des Moines is trying to really accelerate uh, its presence in startups. I know that the Des Moines, the Greater Des Moines Area, uh, area Partnership they're uh, partnering with a lot of established companies to bring in a lot of ag tech accelerator money into the area. Uh, over in Boone, um, about a stone's throw away, they have their own small uh, ag tech accelerator. And there's a lot of innovation going on here, but do you think that there might be a challenge later on to bring in talented people to help build those companies and establish those companies? Yep, so, so once again, Prefacing my uh, my answer by saying once again, you know, I'm biased. You know, having been in the Bay Area, so the reason young people come to the Bay Area is not what people think. It's not because you know, obviously, it's not because of cost of living. It's not because of cheap housing. It's not because of better entertainment. It's none of those pieces, right? They come for one primary reason, one or one sole reason: opportunity, right? So if so, people migrate. You know, especially the kind of jobs you're talking about, they migrate to where the opportunities are. So if we can create that ecosystem here where that opportunity is here to basically you know, create a startup and have the potential of creating some enormous wealth because somebody's going to buy you out, that becomes a huge opportunity. That's what draws people. To me, all those other things happen afterwards because if you have a thriving community because there's opportunities and let's say, let's say in your case, let's say young people show up, housing will show up, entertainment will show up because these guys have disposable income, right? But I don't, I don't agree with the vice versa. I don't think you build those pieces and they come because, you know, if you go to Silicon Valley, you know, there isn't, you know, most of those people don't go out to eat very often because it's expensive. There are no venues for a lot of young people in Silicon Valley. Now, in San Francisco proper, there are in the city. There are some interesting things. But most people, see, that's, that's the, I think that's the piece that people don't really get, that the migration and people going there are there primarily for only one reason, and that's because there's a phenomenal opportunity. So if we can create that here, here in the research park, here in the startup factory, I don't think it'd be hard at all to recruit people here. I mean, in fact, we've already recruited, you know, for some of the startups that we have, a person from Boston. So this guy's, you know, one of the ones that were working right outside of Harvard, and you know, great jobs and all that kind of stuff. But then convince them that the opportunity is much bigger here with the startup. So he moved over here. So him and his wife, who both have PhDs in this case. So to me, I don't think it would be that hard to attract people as long as we're driving opportunities. And I think that's where we need to focus is how do we provide people opportunities. So how? So can you answer that question? How do we bring in opportunities of the sort where maybe that aims in the Des Moines, the central Iowa area, maybe not c- competes directly with the Bay Area with Silicon Valley, with these established, um, really what people imagine to be the tech hubs of the country and the world. But how do we bring those that opportunity in and really make Central Iowa the place to be if you want to be in this startup sector or this startup sector? Mm-hmm. A couple of things. One is, I think success breeds success. So, you know, one of the things that we have to drive is basically success out of something like the Startup Factory. So the idea of the Startup Factory 
really is to give them some of those advantages that you would have, you know, in places like, you know, Silicon Valley, right? So the access to the right mentors, access to investors, access to, you know, different kind of people in terms of that respect, right? And to me, as people start seeing these successes, you're going to start seeing more people come to the table. So, you know, the way I see it is it's simple. I mean, if, if you know, two companies in the startup factory, let's say in our current cohort, you know, make millions of dollars, what happens? Right. First of all, other people hear about it and they go, "Ooh, I want to be part of the startup factory and they start applying. Right. Investors go, wow, hey, I didn't realize they were doing those things. So more investors show up at the table. Mentors go, hey, I want to get plugged into that because maybe I can help, you know, the next, you know, multi-billion dollar, you know, exit as well. Right. So then to me, success breeds success. So the key is we've been fortunate enough to reach out to a lot of successful alums and, and people locally to engage with our first program. So I think we have the right beginnings of that. But to me, what's going to make it, you know, what the acceleration is going to be based on seeing people who are successful coming out of there and more people coming out of the woodwork. So I think you'll start seeing more people come out of the woodwork, not just locally and not just statewide, but region-wide, nationally, and even globally in terms of some of the things that we're going to do. So you did mention that there's a second cohort starting up for the startup factory. Um, people are starting to apply. How can they apply, Bill? So a couple of things. One is, I mean, you can email me, but basically if you go to the, the isustartupfactory.org website, there's an application button on there. You can just download the app, fill it out. You know, it's not too difficult. It's a pretty simple application process, but we are taking uh, applications now for our January cohort, as you mentioned, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting some, you know, nice cohort members in there. So we've still got about three months or so left in this current cohort, right? About that. Um, what would, so after doing this for about a year um, and you're almost done with this first uh, class, this first cohort, uh, what lessons have you learned from the Startup Factory? Uh, what would you and what are you guys planning to do differently coming into the second cohort? Hmm, good question. I haven't thought about it. What are we going to do differently? I mean, right now we're sort of, you know, running at 100 miles an hour, so trying to still keep everything on the rails and moving because the Startup Factory itself is a startup, right? Just started. You know, we're still learning in terms of that. We're pulling together what I would call sort of best practices through different programs. So we've pulled some stuff from, you know, Stanford in terms of Lean Startup. I met with Steve Blank, who's, a, you know, the, the founder of the whole Lean Launchpad, Lean Startup model, and discussed that with him. You know, we're pulling things from MIT in terms of their, like, their mentoring service, so we're modeling parts of our stuff out of them. Um, so, so we pull from different places. So I think the biggest learning is how all these pieces fit together because I don't think – you know, one of the things that I think is going to be unique about our program is we're trying to connect all the dots and how do we pull together a comprehensive program as opposed to just doing, you know, a nine-week or an eight-week customer discovery session and then they sort of disappear, which is what a lot of people are doing. Or having a mentoring program but not really having corresponding programs to help support those. So to us, we're creating really what becomes a unique program end-to-end -end, uh, made up of parts that we're pull, sort of pulling best practices, right? And so with that, I think some of the lessons learned are which ones fit well together, which ones don't fit as well together, which ones maybe should we reorganize in terms of moving them forward. You know, maybe there's some things that work better if we tried it a different way in terms of that. So I think there are a lot of lessons learned, but yeah, right now, 
right now we're still plugging away so we'll probably reassess somewhere in that December time frame and say okay based on what we learned you know how do we sort of do we make any modifications to our January cohort so can you can you expand it all on what you guys are thinking already about changing up a little bit has there been anything that you thought you know we should either change this or we should either definitely keep this um, like how fluid is that mix of all these different elements that you guys are combining here at the research at Start Factory? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't describe it as, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty, as fluid, I would describe it more as very programmatic in terms of that. So we sort of understand what we're doing every week in terms of these folks. So to me, the customer discovery part, I think is essential, which is our first part of it. The org design piece, I think we've learned some things. We'll probably try to package up more ways to get them up faster in terms of website designs and logo designs and some of those kind of pieces. So instead of just talking about theoretical, really helping to get those things done, so more packages or legal accounting, some of those kind of pieces. Um, also, I would say in the investor pitch, probably start that maybe a little sooner in terms of uh, um, preparing for that, even though it would be mostly towards the end where we're actually putting the deck together, but understanding elements of what go into an investor pitch so they can work on at least the content portions of that, not the presentation pieces. Um, so yeah, I think there's a number of elements in there, but uh, in the end, I think it's pretty similar to what we're doing. It's just maybe we might reorder some things or emphasize some things a little more than others. So ISU um, and the research park exists um, in Ames, and I was, I was wondering, is there anything that the city of Ames could do, or its residents could do, to help spur on what's going on at the research park? Hmm. I like that. Good question. Um, I mean, one is, you know, we we are all constantly looking for uh, volunteers in terms of mentors, right? In terms of advisors in terms of even helping us in the teaching of the cohort, right? And you don't have to have any, quote, experience in terms of any of the methodologies to be part of those. What you really have to do, what we're looking for is people who have experience in business. So some people are experienced at finance, and then we could use them. Some people are experienced entrepreneurs, we could use them. Some people know how to do customer service. Some people know how to do marketing. Some people know how to do design. So almost everyone can help contribute if they really wanted to, if this was if this was something that they'd be interested in. Because, you know, imagine, and, you know, I don't want to, you know, genericize all companies, but a lot of the things that come out of Iowa State are going to be engineering or science-oriented. So when they come to us in the startup factory, basically there's going to be one scientist or engineer who's working on it full-time. And that's almost the breadth of the company. So from there, there's all kinds of things that need to be added to it, right? So I think sometimes people get intimidated because I say, well, I'm, I'm not an entrepreneur, so you know, how can I, I really can't help the startup factory. And I think that's where it, it, that's not true, right? So if you're a graphics designer, you can help this company because once again, there's one scientist in this company. If you're an accountant, you can help, right? If you're a, you know, pick any, pretty much anything, you can help in terms of that. So what we're looking for is, you know, obviously we're going through our first cohort now, but as we go forward, we'd love to see more people connected and, and helping us. Now, what does that mean in terms of help? Because a lot of people sit there and say, well, you know, I, I don't have a lot of hours. I can't commit. A lot of mentoring programs, I think, um, make people commit to so many hours a month and you sign up for an entire year. So ours is different. Ours is, you know, modern after MITs and what they believe is in mentoring teams. 
So, and the team composition changes over time. <clears throat> and your commitment then is less. So let's say you were to walk in and say, I'm a finance expert and I'd like to help a startup. We might team you up with a startup and then you could work with them for even just several hours in terms of that. And that could be your total commitment, right? Now, what we're hoping is you send up, you know, you end up going, wow, I really like those folks, right? I really would like to work with them more. And you know, come with, hey, Bill, is there, can I keep on engaging with them? Absolutely. That'd be great if you did, right? But if you didn't want to, that's fine. So we're not looking for a lot of people to sign up for large commitments. We're hoping that serendipity occurs and you want to in the end, but we're not trying to sign people up that way. So we want people to come in, try it, feel it. You know, if it works for them, great and continue on. And so we've had, you know, several of those that have gone on that way and have worked very well. Bill, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to talk with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Enjoyed it. That's all for this episode. Innovation Ains was produced and hosted by me, Dan Micah. Special thanks goes to Michael Crum and Scott Anderson, the editor and the publisher of the Ains Tribune, respectively. Let me know how I'm doing. If you have complaints, praises, guest ideas, I want to hear from you. Send us a message on Facebook, we're at the Ames Tribune, or you can find me on Twitter, my handle is at DanMicahTweets. This is an Ames Tribune digital production. <laughs>